Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. First Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Spirit of God, we thank you right now that your word is in our mouth. We thank you that your word is in our heart. And we thank you that your word is alive. And I thank you that there's an anointing this morning to break yokes of bondage. I thank you that there's an anointing this morning to shift an atmosphere. I thank you there's an anointing this morning to set the captive free. I thank you that there's an anointing this morning to shift a region. I thank you this morning. We're going to deal with it this morning. We're going to deal with something this morning. We're going to deal with something in the realm of the Spirit this morning. And we're going to walk out of this place free and free indeed. We're going to walk out of this room this morning with weapons in our arsenal to declare whom the Son has set free is indeed free. I thank you, Father, for your anointing that makes preaching easy this morning. I thank you that we're going to deal with it this morning. We're going to see captives set free, cycles broken, lives transformed. I thank you this morning, Father. Oh, I thank you this morning. Family members are coming back to you. I thank you this morning that those who are far from you are coming back. We call them home. We call the prodigals home. We say, come out of your place of hiding and come back into the fold. Stay standing for just a few more moments. Last week we talked about the place called there. We talked about going to that place where God, He, he sets us apart for a season. He has to take us to a place called there. And, and there is not comfortable. There is not a place where we often want to be. But it's there that we find miracles. It's there that God feeds us in a season of drought. It's there that God feeds us and, and causes us to drink of water in a time of drought. But today, I want you to know we're going to deal with something. We're going to deal with the spirit of intimidation. We're going to deal with the spirit of witchcraft. And we're going to deal with the spirit of control. We're going to deal with these things this morning. Because I believe that there are forces that seek to bring us under the influence of spirits of intimidation. And that just when we get ready to have breakthrough, just when a nation begins to get shifted, there's a voice that rises up that tries to be counterproductive to the voice of God. And I want you to know we're going to deal with it this morning. I'm telling you, our society, it's been overtaken by spirits. Our society has been overtaken by humanism. We've had, uh, we may not see them in the natural, but we've had altars erected to Baal and Asherah and, and Molech all over our country. And I'm telling you in this hour more than ever, the church has got to deal with the control and intimidation that we so often come under that keep us from walking in the fullness of what God wants to do. 
And so we're going to examine in detail this morning, not my typical message of dealing with the demonic and talking about the demonic. I don't try to give them a platform, but I believe that more than ever we're dealing with these things and we've got to deal with them. Say deal with it. And so I want you to remember before you take your seats that Jezebel had created this political alliance with false prophets of Baal and Asherah. Now, Elijah on the Mount Carmel, it does not say that the prophets of Asherah showed up. So we know that the prophets of Baal showed up, but we do not know that the the prophets of Asherah showed up. And and Elijah deals with uh, the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, and he calls down fire, and fire falls, and then he takes and he slews the prophets. But we come to chapter 19, and it says this. I'm going to read it again for you this morning. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Ahab was a tattletale. He runs back with his tail between his legs to Jezebel because he wasn't man enough to defend his own country. He had to go get his, his Jezebelic wife and tell her all that had happened and he says to her what had happened and had killed the prophets with the sword and then Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah Jezebel sends a messenger and says so that may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time she says Elijah I'm gonna kill you I'm gonna kill you and he was afraid He was afraid. That word afraid there doesn't mean that he was just scared. It literally means he placed Jezebel in a place of reverence. The great prophet Elijah who had just seen all that had happened at Mount Carmel. Here's one word from Jezebel who's lost most of her prophets, lost most of her minions, says I'm going to kill you and he puts her in a place of reverence. He equates her to God in that moment and he runs away. You can be seated this morning. This is a shocking thing to me. It's a shocking thing that the great prophet Elijah, at the moment that this woman says to him, I'm going to kill you, he runs away. He runs away. He had just confronted the king. He had this incredible spiritual faith activity where he calls fire down upon the altar. The the prophets of, of Baal fail in his sight. And he, he, he does this incredible thing in 1 Kings 18. You can go back and read it. And then, not only that, he goes in, and I preached several weeks ago, and he goes into the place of prayer and he births the rain. I mean, how incredible. You go from Mount Carmel where there's this incredible fire. And I mean, it's Pentecostal through and through, right? Fire and rain and wind and all these things. And he has these incredible moments, and we witness some of the greatest faith operations, I believe, we've ever seen in history. We don't see it as a common occurrence that prophets call down fire to consume a sacrifice. But here's Elijah. And suddenly, a day later, one day, 24 hours, made the difference in Elijah's life where one woman stands up and says, I'm going to kill you, and the great prophet tucks tail and runs? How could in one day this prophet move from fearless faith to cowering fear? And the problem is this, that such is the level of fear that as we read on, which we're about to do, that that God seeks to encourage Elijah out of his fear. God comes to encourage him, but Elijah is so afraid. He just says, I'm done. I just want to die. 
I've done Mount Carmel, but I'm done. This woman says she's going to kill me. And he goes on and he says, I'm the only one left. And he's in this place. So let's read it. First Kings 9, 9, 19, 9. Then he came there to a cave and spent the night there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I believe prophetically some of you are about to have that question from the Lord. Some of you are about to hear from the Lord, what are you doing in this cave? You've been in the cave of fear too long. You've been in the cave of intimidation too long. What are you doing here? And he said, I mean, listen to this. I've been zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, for the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. This is, this is what he's saying. God, I've done all these things for you. Do you know how obedient I've been? I've been zealous for the word of the Lord. But I'm the only one left. You Essentially, he's saying to God here, you abandoned me. I'm it. You've left me alone. I've been obedient. I've followed your word. I've done all these things. And yet, I'm alone. And they want to kill me. So he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? The question comes again. Then he said, I've been zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. For the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. The Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. You shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahala as prophet in your place. God doesn't even address... Elijah's issues. He says, get up and go and do these things. He's escaped to a cave. God encounters him there. And the significant thing about this encounter is there are four supernatural events. There's the wind, the earthquake, the fire, and the gentle blowing. In the first three, he recognized God was not in those. Yet in the fourth, he recognized the voice of God. Thus proving Elijah knew the voice of God. He wasn't distracted by the supernatural events. I mean, how incredible the wind coming through and breaking the rocks in pieces, the earthquake, the fire, but it was in the gentle blowing in the fourth supernatural event that he recognized the voice of God and still not repenting of his death wish. And God's demand, get this, fine, go replace yourself. I'm not going to let you out of it until you replace yourself, though. Elijah, the great prophet who had just seen incredible victories, is now disqualified from continuing the mantle because of his fear. Fear seeks to intimidate you, to keep you from your destiny, to keep you from walking out the things that you are called to. It is an intimidating spirit that seeks to control your life. 
Fear paralyzes you from recognizing the voice of God. It paralyzes you from being able to move forward in life. We talked about being at a place called there. There prepares you for Mount Carmel. But let me tell you, when you get to Mount Carmel, there will come a voice that will seek to distract you from your next assignment. And that is exactly what happens with the prophet Elijah. As you read the rest of his life, this great tragedy, he's embittered in his heart. I mean, he just becomes ruthless in the way he deals with Elisha. He, he's not friendly anymore. There's nothing. He's embittered in his heart. And we see here the effect of one of the most powerful demonic forces that come against Christian believers, the spirit of intimidation. And the spirit of witchcraft control. Witchcraft, not necessarily talking about voodoo-ish stuff. I'm talking about the work of the flesh. Witchcraft being the work of the flesh that seeks to control you. The essential characteristics of witchcraft, ultimately, is to control another person. That's what witchcraft is all about, is gaining power over another person or another group of people. And so what happened to Elijah? Elijah was at a spiritual high. And in that time, there is a huge emotional and spiritual outflow. I'm sure we could all testify of the, of the spiritual highs in our life. And I'm sure we can all testify of the ultimate spiritual lows in our life. And often they are concurrent with one another. We experience these great spiritual highs, these great encounters with God. And then the noise of the enemy comes. And we hit these real lows. And I, I, I can tell you, studying Elijah just from a, a psychological point of view, that I can tell you his emotional reserves had to have been at end. He had to have been empty on every level because you don't go through such a tremendous warfare on the top of Mount Carmel and not experience a draining. You can't. There's a draining that takes place here. And each person, you and I, have so much emotional reserve. We have a capacity. Say that word, capacity. Every one of us have a capacity by which we operate out of. And I will tell you, the deeper you're well in God, the deeper your capacity. And so we have these emotional reserves so that when we start to go through a warfare process and we start to go through a, a great victory, it will often deplete our emotional reserves. We'll go through these places and the trouble is, is that if we don't replenish the emotional reserve, we can't face the next warfare. And we see in the life of Elijah that he, he says, I'm zealous. That word zealous, it literally means this. I have spent all I have to follow the word of the Lord. I've given every bit of me. He was sold out. And the trouble that we face in our postmodern world is that we have not made Jesus our Sabbath. We do not find our rest in the presence of the Lord. And so we spin our wheels and we say things like, oh, I just need a few days off. Listen, I believe in taking time off. Don't hear me incorrectly here. Don't hear me incorrectly. I believe in Sabbath rest in the natural. But unless you make Jesus your Sabbath, your Sabbath rest in the natural will never replenish the emptiness you feel on the inside. 
And Elijah's in this great warfare. He's in this great, this great moment of time where there's, there's all of this swirl around him. And I want to give you some signs that you are emotionally empty. You have difficulty concentrating. You have difficulty focusing on the job at hand. What would take you one hour takes you three hours. You don't want to talk to anyone. You don't want to respond to anyone. You feel depressed maybe. You're irritable. You're full of fear of another problem coming your way. Maybe you're even experiencing panic attacks or unreasonable fear. These are all signs of the spiritual attack to keep your emotional reserves empty. All a sign. And the answer to that is what fills your emotional bank? Well, there's two things. There are spiritual laws and there are natural laws. We first operate out of the spiritual laws. Time in the presence of the Lord. If you're not getting time in the presence of the Lord, if you're not worshiping, I'm not just talking about I'm talking about adoring the one who is worthy. I think we can become unbalanced at times if all we do is or if all we do is, I worship you. You need both. You've got a war and worship. You've got to have both to fill that, that reserve, to dig that well. You've got to be in his word. The word gives life. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding out of the mouth of God. You've got to have time in the word. Now, for every person, that's going to look different. I can't give you a formula for digging your own well. I can't give you a formula for digging your own emotional reserve. But let me say this as well. Natural laws. What are the things that help you replenish the emotional tank? Are you a quality time person? Do you need that time with your significant other? Is it watching a cooking show? It, it could be anything in the natural that can help rebuild those natural reserves. We need both of it. And Elijah is so busy doing and being zealous that he gets completely worn out that by the time Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, he's got nothing left. And he says, I just want to die. I just want to die. And I think too many of us face that same issue. Because here's the problem, is that he's had this pinnacle experience and he's now very vulnerable as we are when our emotional reserves are low and it is at those times that the enemy attacks. And the first thing that he will attack you with is intimidation. Demonic spirits of intimidation will come against you. And as I've said before, this great man of God who had stood so powerfully and so full of faith is now so intimidated, he eventually completely withdraws from his mantle and his gifting. He just completely withdraws. He just leaves the nation, goes and hides. You see, the objective of the enemy is to get you to withdraw from your convictions. The objective of the enemy is to intimidate you away from your calling and to bring you to a place of withdrawing from your primary purpose and destiny in life to actually bring you to a place of wanting to die to pronouncing a death wish over your own life just like Elisha did. Elijah did. That's the goal of the enemy. He will start with intimidation and he will get you to the point you no longer even want to live and it will come in the form of bitter judgments. It will sound like this. 
I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to serve in church again. I'm going to stop giving because it didn't work for me. I'm hurt by leaders, so I'm going to stop going to church. I'm not going to work in my, in my realm of influence. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm never going to. All of those things are actually death wishes over our lives where we're actually pronouncing an end to our ministry, our calling, our mantle, our gifting, our metron of influence, and it's actually a demonic spirit empowering Jezebel coming against Elijah, and it's the same thing coming against us. And we don't recognize it because we don't replenish our soul in the presence of the Lord, and we wear ourselves out trying to battle battles that can only be fought in the presence of the Lord when we are obedient to the call that He has given us. It's a demonic spirit. It's intimidation. It's a demonic spirit of witchcraft and control. And these demonic strongholds are seeking to disempower our faith, to strip us of confidence, boldness, and of our faith exercise. So how do these spirits make you feel? This morning, I'm going to just list off some things that you might be dealing with. And this morning, we're going to pray for you at the end of this message. And some of you are going to get delivered from these spirits. You feel inferior. You feel worthless. You feel like you have nothing to give. God won't answer you. No use trying anymore because you're not in faith. Who do you think you are to think you could believe for that thing to happen? Makes you want to give up. God doesn't really love you like he loves others. You really don't have an anointing or gifting. You've been stripped of your personal self-image and confidence. You look in the mirror and say, I hate you. You feel demotivated. You feel discouraged and despondent. You will question your own personal calling, ministry, and gifting, and you will sense unreasonable fear. And you will then surrender to diminished effectiveness, withdrawal, and emotional and spiritual paralysis, and you won't ever be able to move forward. And this is exactly what happened in Elijah. I want to share my own personal journey in this. Early years of ministry. Several mentors in my life would come around me, and they'd say, oh, that was good, but... And before they could build me up, they would tear me down. I had one mentor in particular who, who I loved. But for every one compliment, I got 10 things that I was doing wrong or wasn't good enough in. I actually had kept a voicemail from him that I finally deleted. Because in that voicemail, I mean, tore me to pieces for seven and a half minutes. You are not worthy of the calling of ministry. Give it up. You don't belong. I mean, things like that. And this was a well-known minister who I loved, but I wasn't good enough because I'd done something that in his mind wasn't good enough for his ministry. And I was like, oh my gosh, wasn't even my intention. And I would live under this thought constantly. Oh, I wonder what so-and-so would think if they heard this message this morning as I'm preparing the message. And I'll never forget, I walked in this sanctuary one, one day and I'm having this flood of thoughts. And I'll be honest, it wasn't long ago. It was only about six, seven months ago that I began to recognize the intimidation that was coming against my mind every time I'd get up to preach. I would think, what I preach isn't effective. I'm not good enough because the church hasn't gotten to a certain size at this point. I mean, all these different things that people had actually said to me, I had a mentor one time say to me, the reality is, Jacob, and, and here was a lie, until you lose all the weight, you'll never have a good ministry. One of the lies. One of the lies. 
So you know what happened when I lost weight? I began to think, oh, now I can finally. That lie had, had gotten down into my soul and I had to deal with it. I mean, all these lies that the enemy, see, it doesn't necessarily come as I'm going to kill you. But what it does do is it comes to chip away at your identity, comes to intimidate you, comes to say, oh, you're never going to be good as so-and-so. You're never going to, you never will. So then we start to say, I'm never going to. I'll never, da-da-da-da-da. I remember in high school, I had a teacher say to me, you will never, this is exactly what this person said, you will never sing over a microphone and people enjoy it. Now, I don't sing over the microphone for people to enjoy it anyways. That's not, that's not why I do what I do. But, you know, I laid down singing for years. I would get cast in a role for a musical, lead roles, and I'd turn it down because I was so afraid. Because fear, fear will, will capture you and it will intimidate you and it will beat against you to convince you that you can't. I became so frustrated in my ministry, in my preaching, in my identity. And so one night, I had gotten a text from a friend that wasn't intended as a dig, was not intended as a dig, but the way I took it as I was walking in the sanctuary, and I stood right here, and all of a sudden it was like, it made sense. And I went, this spirit has been coming against me my whole life. I've been dealing with a spirit of intimidation my whole life that has kept me from doing things that I knew I was called to do. And so standing right here, I just put it on notice. I said, you foul spirit of intimidation. I break your assignment over my life. I come out of agreement and I can honestly say, I can look back and I can see where my preaching began to shift some. I can see where I began to speak with more of an authority, not because I'd lost the weight like the one person said, but because I lost the weight of intimidation. I lost the weight of the bitterness. I lost the weight of all those things. And so I began to just come against it. And then the Lord said to me, standing right there, not only is it intimidation, but it's witchcraft and control. And I began to recognize that certain people in my life operated in control. Because they were afraid of their own image. They were afraid of what people would think. They were afraid of how people would perceive them. And some of those men and women of God were actually taken out early, did die before their time because they never dealt with the fear that caused them to walk in control. And that's what the enemy seeks to do. He seeks to take you out through intimidation, control, and witchcraft. Witchcraft being control. And so... I've already listed some of the characteristics of this spirit operating against a person, and those characteristics will occur personally against you in the spirit realm. And I've felt those things, and I've learned the moment I sense those things. I can get around someone, especially now that I dealt with it in my own life. Once I got free of it, I can get around someone and immediately start to feel motivations of their seeking to control. I had a phone call with someone that I hardly even knew. This person called me up and said, you know, I just want to affirm you're, you're an apostle. And I'm like, well, God hasn't ever told me that. Like, and, you know, apostles really need apostles to lead them. I'm like, oh, control. Get out of here. 
with that mess. And I could discern immediately, oh, they're not really seeking relationship. They're seeking control. They're looking for a platform. They're lo- and that's how the enemy seeks to take us over. So it will even come in the form of manipulation to point out a perceived weakness to then get you under their control for, this, for, for the sole purpose of not strengthening you, but controlling you. That's how the enemy works. It will come in and will operate through people. It's important to point out the person may be a naturally controlling and dominating person and just needs to back off. But if surrendered to in their life, they begin to be empowered by a demonic spirit. And there are signs that will signal to us. So I'm going to give you some more signs this morning. Signs of witchcraft and a controlling spirit operating against you. And and if you want a copy of this, I can make a copy of it because it might help you. Number one, seeks to control the finances. Attempts to compromise the vision by bringing in other agendas, pet themes, doctrines, and other ideas about church life. I've had people who've come in and say, you know, your church would be more effective if you just went to house churches. And you just set up house churches all over the city. That way you could get rid of the building. You could get, I'm like, that's not what God has called us to do. You're undermining the vision of what God's called us to do. If God called us to do house churches, I'd do house churches. That's not what God's called us to do. Will attempt to control and manipulate leadership or people. Draws allies together when in reality is building dependent relationships. Appears supportive through one, though one senses their heart is not really with you. Appears to endorse Holy Spirit Yet personally, they don't ever move in Holy Spirit. Sees themselves as agents of change. I had a person come to me one time. You know, God has sent me to this church because, and this was really what their words were. I'm an agent of change. Well, hallelujah. Let me know how that goes somewhere else. will veer strongly toward the doctrine of accountability while in reality are seeking to hold leadership and others accountable to themselves, but never really be a, being accountable themselves. Will disempower senior leaders and others from their confidence to function in their foremost gifting. Will criticize and be quick to point out what they see as apparent weakness. Will hold attitudes of superiority and often project a prideful spirit. Will vie for leadership in your life without relationship, will inject fear and a sense of inferiority into your life, will make a person feel defenseless and thereby cause the person to have to justify their position or convictions. It's important to point this out. Not all signs have to operate, but if there's multiple aspects occurring, there's a problem. Ultimately, it comes down to control. They seek to control your life. They seek to control aspects of your life that they have no relationship or authority into. Here are personal signs that the spirit of witchcraft is coming against you. Often aware of a particular person while praying and wondering, what would they think about what I'm doing? I have that in my life all the time. I wonder how they would think about this. I wonder if they would approve of this. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. If that That doesn't necessarily mean that person's operating it, but it does mean that spirit's coming against you. 
will feel a sense of inferiority and fear when in the presence of that person. We'll feel you can never match up to their expectations no matter what you do. We'll feel you can never be yourself when in the presence of the person, especially with regards to the operation of your gifting. We'll find yourself having to be on guard when in their presence. We'll feel they don't accept you. And we'll find yourself somehow needing to know what they feel or think about what you're doing and saying. Now, let me make this clear. That doesn't necessarily mean that that spirit is in them. But it does mean that spirit's in you and it's manipulating how you feel. Because I've been around very godly leadership who weren't controlling and weren't manipulating, and I would still have those thoughts. People who genuinely love me, and I would always think, I wonder what that person's going to think. They wouldn't think anything of it. But because that spirit had intimidated me for so long, I was bound by it. I was being controlled by it. Does that make sense this morning? So we're going to deal with it. So how do we deal with it? Number one, recognize the fact that we are being spiritually attacked. You have to recognize that. Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our fight is not people, but the spiritual force is motivating people. So whether it's in a person or not, you're not wrestling people. You are wrestling spirits. You are under spiritual attack. Number two, affirm confess and proclaim the mandate and call of God over your life. Because that is the thing these demonic forces are seeking to strip. So one of the things I did that night is I have been called as the pastor of this church. I have been called as a prophet to nations. I have been called to preach the uncompromised word of God. And I just began to affirm what the call and mandate of God was on my life. Your call and mandate is going to be different. For Hector, it might be I've been called to be a tenured professor at a and I don't know if that's really what you're called to, but you get the point. I've been called as a grandmother in Zion. I've been, whatever it is, I've been called as an intercessor. I've been called as a mother. For some people, that's a huge attack because they feel like they can't even mother their children. I've been called as a father. Whatever the area is that you've been attacked in the most, that's what you affirm over your life. I've been called to walk in miracles, signs, and wonders. I've been called to lay hands on the sick and see them recovered. I've been called to finance kingdom ministry. Whatever it is, you begin to affirm that call and mandate over your life. And I can guarantee you just doing that will begin to shift the spiritual climate around your life because it says to that spirit of intimidation, I don't care what you say. This is who God has called me to be. And this is what I'm going to walk in. Hallelujah. So then you specifically pray against the various spirits as you feel led. So you name those spirits. So I come against the spirit of intimidation. I come against the spirit of fear. And I command them to be bound away from my life in the name of Jesus. And you just go after it until as such time you feel you've got them by the jugular and you've bled them out. Okay, You deal with it. You have to deal with the spirits. Number four, you break the judgment spoken against your life. Isaiah 54 and 17, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. These demonic forces speak into our minds and make judgments against us. So I begin to break the judgments. 
and I begin to condemn the judgments of the enemy. So I began in my own prayer time to say, that word that I'll never be effective till I'm skinny, I break that judgment in Jesus' name. Fat, skinny, short, fat, whatever it is, I'm going to be effective. So you break the judgment. They have to be dealt with. Who does it? We do. So do it. You need to understand words carry weight. They need dealing with. So that you'll never amount to anything. I break that off my life. I cancel the assignment to keep me from becoming something that God has called me to be. Whatever those word curses that are that have been spoken over your life, you begin to break them. I am good enough, not in my own strength, but because he who called me made me worthy. And you begin to declare those words over you and you break those judgments. Number five, build a support network around your life. You need to be praying with people. Get to corporate prayer. Have affirming support. Get someone in your life that can speak into your call. You need people not to control the call, but to speak life into the call. That's what the church is all about. That's why the church exists. That's why the body of Christ is what it is, because we weren't called to do this alone. So we need those godly friendships. We need those godly relationships that can speak into our lives and affirm the call of God around our lives. And here's the other thing. You need to participate actively in protecting the body against criticism. Because one of the ways that judgments fall on our own lives is that we begin to criticize or begin to agree with criticizing and we operate in a critical spirit. So listen, it is not our job to be people who constantly criticize the body of Christ. That's his bride. Now, if we need to deal with false doctrine, we'll deal with it. If we need to deal with false teachers, we'll deal with them. But at the end of the day, we are not heresy hunters. And I've been guilty of that in the past. It's easy to come into a critical spirit and want to find everything that's wrong and actually ignore the fact that by doing so, I'm heaping up judgment on myself. Let's just preach the uncompromised love of God, the uncompromised word of God, the uncompromised gospel, and let's do the work of the gospel and let God sort out his children. I don't think I ever get more upset than when I'm trying to discipline my own child and someone speaks in and tries to discipline them on my behalf. Right? Now, have there been times where I've assisted a struggling parent in the airport? Yes. Hey, can I help? Not, man, you're such a bad dad. Look at how terrible you're doing. When I try to discipline out of the wrong motive or out of the wrong area of relationship, I'm taking over God's job. And I actually bring judgments on myself. Does that make sense? So we've got to come out of agreement with that. We've got to break those. Because here's the deal. When we build those support networks around our life, see, I have a number of people both within my circle of relationship who pray with me and support me. I have friends that I I lean into. Now, my number one support is my wife. And let me tell you, you criticize her, then I really get scary. I'll protect her before I protect the, take the church, I'm keeping my wife. Let's just make that clear. But listen, we need the body of Christ. I need my, my group of friends around me. I need them because they, they help protect me and often deal with opposition. 
You need that around your life. You need a group of people who will protect you when you're weak. I love that that uh, there, there's a great illustration. There, I think it's wildebeest or one of the water buffalo. When their young start to, to get attacked, they, they just form a circle and they lock eyes with each other and they just start kicking. So they don't even focus on the enemy. They focus on the young and creating a sense of safety in the middle of that circle. And they lock eyes with each other and say, I, I got you. You got me. And just start kicking. I got you. You got me. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Not, oh, did you, did you see that person's going through an attack over there? Hmm. How's the enemy going to do it this time? Maybe I can learn a strategy out of this. I mean, that's what some prayer circles became. At the height of intercession, it lost intercession, became gossip corner. Oh, did you hear someone's? Oh, well, we need to pray for them. Bless their heart. So that leads me to point number six. Get deliverance. You need it. I need it. We all need it. Deliverance is a lifelong process. It's not a one and done. I wish it was. But you know why it's not one and done? Because in the words of Shrek, ogres are like onions. We've got layers. I just got real unholy there for a second. There are, but we do, we have layers. As we start peeling away some stuff, we start recognizing there's some critters in there. There's some things that took root that we got to get rid of. And the more we get in the light, the more it gets exposed. And so we need to get deliverance. So this morning, if any of that applies to you, if any of those signs that I I gave out, I'm going to do two things. I don't think deliverance is ever a public spectacle. Let me say that. So we're going to shut off the live stream in a moment after I pray for them because we're going to open up the altars and some of you are going to get free from these spirits of intimidation, witchcraft, and control. I think too many publicize uh, deliverance on social media, and I don't like it. I think, I think it, it, it's, it's not a show. It's a thing between you and God. So if you shake, rattle, and roll and some things come out, hallelujah. We're just not going to let the world watch it. It's a holy thing. So this morning... Uh, I'm going to pray for the live stream, and then I'm going to pray for you. So why don't we stand, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray for their deliverance. And if you start manifesting in your living room, just grab the olive oil out of the kitchen, dump it on you, and say go, okay? So I want you to turn and stretch your hands towards the camera this morning. We're going to pray for uh, the nine people watching right now. Father, we thank you right now in the name of Jesus that every person watching this morning would be delivered of the spirit of intimidation, of witchcraft and control. I thank you, Father, for bringing freedom to their lives right now in the name of Jesus, that these spirits that have kept them from walking in their destiny, who have kept them from walking in the fullness of who they're called to be, we cancel the assignment now and we command you to loose them and let them go. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingchurch.us.